Let us pray. Come, Holy Spirit, and fill the hearts of your faithful and kindle within us the fire of your love. And may my words and our hearts together glorify you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. We are currently in a sermon series that is taking us through the Sundays in July called Rediscovering Our Freedoms. And we're using as a foundation for this series um, the works of Norman Rockwell called The Four Freedoms. Um, He got the inspiration for these uh, paintings from a speech given by President Roosevelt that talked about a vision for a future in the United States that was one of peace. And Roosevelt talked about the four freedoms, the freedom of speech, the freedom of religion, the freedom from want, and the freedom from fear. Those were brilliant paintings, of course, but they also reflected a pretty uh, monochromatic uh, nation in terms of our cultures and backgrounds. A few years ago, a group of artists came together to create an activist artist organization that they named For FOR Freedoms. And they commissioned artists from all over the United States to create um, paintings on the Four Freedoms inspired by Rockwell's work, but reflecting more the vast diversity of our nation. And I really love those paintings. There were some 82 paintings that came out of that action, and um, they are very moving, and I commend them to you. In prior Sundays, we have talked about the freedom of speech and the freedom of religion, and those freedoms we talked about as being assured for us in the First Amendment to the Constitution. However, today's freedom that Roosevelt talked about, the freedom from want, is not codified in the amendments, but rather, I think, is more reflected in the Declaration of Independence. There is perhaps one of the most famous lines from the Declaration, probably among the most famous lines known by most people in the United States that states, We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal and that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. We know that those were words of a vision of what might be for the United States of America. It meant that the Declaration of Independence was not just about freedom from the tyranny of a king and taxation without representation, but there was something greater there that was the freedom that would allow people, in this case they defined that as men, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Life, freedom, and the pursuit of happiness. That all people, they said, were created equal and would live free lives. What we know now is that that was a dream and a vision 
and that we were far from that then and we're far from that now. And we need to own that. And we need to um, rediscover what it means in this country for all people to have the freedom, all people who are created in the image and likeness of God, all people, genders, races, cultural backgrounds, sexuality, ability, and different ability, that all people, rich and poor, young and old, immigrant and native, are all created in the image and likeness of God. And we have to really look hard and deal with the fact that not all people have equal rights. We especially know that our black siblings and other people of color and those who are poor and the elderly and children and all those like immigrants and refugees who are marginalized by our society do not have access to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Still, I would argue that it is a noble vision and one that inspired a president to speak to our country in a time of a great depression and a time of a great world war about the freedom from want. As people of the Judeo-Christian tradition, we have a lot of our learning about the idea of want from our sacred scriptures. One of the best stories I can tell you about that is a story that we find in the book of Exodus. You know the story. Moses and his brother Aaron, through the power and presence of God, who they called Jehovah, won the freedom from the Isra- for the Israelites who were enslaved in Egypt. They made their way out of Egypt in a journey toward a land promised to them by God. As it turned out, it was not an easy journey. Freedom journeys are rarely easy journeys. So on the 15th day of the second month in the wilderness, the whole lot of them started complaining and bellyaching. If only we had died by the hand of the Lord in the land of Egypt, when we sat by the flesh pots and ate our fill of bread. For you have brought us out into this wilderness to kill this whole assembly with hunger, they said. Sometimes slavery, real or metaphorical, is easier. It's just easier with the comfort of place and food than is freedom with all its unknown. Tired of their complaining, very tired of their complaining, God said to Moses that there would be a rain of bread from heaven. His instructions were, as Moses spoke to the people, that God said, in the mornings, 
there will be bread, and in the evenings there will be meat, and you will only collect what you need for you and your family for that day, except on the sixth day when you will collect enough for two days so that you may keep the Sabbath. And so, as God had promised, in the evening, flocks of quail landed in the camp. And in the morning, there was a fine dust across the ground as the dew evaporated. It was wafer-like, and they said it tasted like coriander with a flavor of honey. And the people called it manna. But God didn't just take care of their want of food. God also took care of where they were going. God was in a cloud that went before them during the day and in a pillar of fire that went before them in the night so that they could travel by day and night in safety and that they would be guided. God's provision is what this story this part of the story is about. God provided when they were seeking their way. It's a great story of God's provision. And it didn't mean, by the way, that their journey got any easier. It didn't. In fact, they wandered for 40 years until all those who had done all that complaining were gone. Even so, The road to freedom is a hard road. Surely we recognize this today, don't we? Surely we know that our freedoms have not come easily and can be counted in the cost of life and livelihood for so very many who have suffered, who have died on battlefields, who have died in marches, who have died for freedom's sake. We continue to see in rallies and marches that that are currently taking place across our country, calling for a hard look at the discrepancies of the treatment of our siblings of color, everything from the treatment of police, job opportunities, health care, and so much more. Surely we know that even those of us who claim our faith as Christian, that freedom is not easy. And let me just say here that wanting justice and wanting truth, and wanting equality, those are all reasonable wants. They're legitimate, reasonable wants and desires, unlike the general wantedness of our culture. You know what I'm talking about. Our culture that is obsessed with values of power and position and provisions over all other things, including freedom. A culture in which we define ourselves by what we have and what we own and what we hoard, not by who we are and how we live. A culture in which our wants are voracious and all-consuming. A culture in which we can obtain just about anything we ever wanted in our whole entire lives with a click of a button. A culture in which we rent storage units for all our stuff that won't fit in our homes. A culture in which we have come to believe that it is our right to have whatever we want, even at the expense of others' 
well-being, and health. Well, as I told you, the scriptures give us guidance. And one of the most powerful statements in all of scripture is from the psalm. And is the best known psalm in all the psalms. Psalm 23. It's that opening line. From the New Revised Standard Version, it says, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. But, you know, I like the translation from the New Living Bible that says, Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Now, as I say those words to you, doesn't, don't they wash over you? Don't you feel a little less frantic? A little less frenetic? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Because the Lord is my shepherd, I have everything I need. Don't those words, just those words, offer you a sense of freedom? Centuries later, the Apostle Paul, writing to the church at Galatia, would spend the entire letter talking about freedom. Not freedom in the sense that we think about it today, because we tend to think about political freedom. But Paul spoke about it as freedom in Christ. The letter to the Galatians has been called the Declaration of Independence of the Christian Faith. What we know about the letter is that Paul was writing to the Galatians who were all converts of paganism, who never practiced the law of Moses, but who were confused by preachers who were coming in and saying that they had to follow the law. And Paul sought to answer their questions. What should be the behavior of Christians in the world right now? And should we not have laws that clarify what our behavior should be? These questions were even more pressing for these Christians were aware that even though they had taken on new life and freedom in Christ, they still struggled personally with personal and private issues that still existed even though they had been baptized and made their commitment to new life in Christ. And Paul said to them, you know, of course the freedom that we have been given does not exclude an inner struggle. We must wage this struggle with confident trust because we must never underestimate what the Lord is able to produce in our lives. Ultimately, Paul, in his letter to the church at Galatia, comes down on the side of love. You heard it in our reading this morning that we have freedom, and that freedom is grounded in love. Love of God but also it is grounded in love of neighbor because love is the reality that is at the heart of freedom, just like those girls on the softball field. Their capacity to love set them free. If we love, then we are free to live and move and have our being. But loving God and loving neighbor has its challenges, and the Apostle Paul cautioned if the forgiven person does not become forgiving, if the loved person does not become loving, then that person is only practicing self-deception. That 
the freedom that we receive in Christ should manifest in us some very real transformation. And that transformation is revealed through love. The good news for the people of Galatia and for us is that Paul reminds them that they're not on their own. (laughs) And we aren't either. He wrote, We live by the Spirit. Let us also follow the guidance of the Spirit. Paul's point was, with the guidance of the Spirit, we can truly love God and we can truly love each other. Then we are free to do whatever we want because what we want will be, insofar as humanly possible, an expression of the love toward God and others. So today, I want you to consider for a moment... How do I say this? How do I say this nicely? It's not all about you. We, we need to just hear, maybe make it our mother. It's not all about me. It is all about us. All of us. Not some of us. All of us. Could it be that to avoid devouring one another, we have to practice personal responsibility, personal restraint, the stewardship of care for one another. In other words, the true meaning of love is found in the freedom to give ourselves away. True freedom is what we get when we live our life in loving service to others. It is, of course, a paradox. It doesn't make true it doesn't make sense until we actually live it. The only way to truly find freedom is to give yourself away in love. And the only way to truly give yourself away in love is when you are free. Do you understand that? It is a paradox. And we only understand its truth when we live it. This politics of love isn't hopelessly naive nor practiced by the weak, but rather are practiced by the strong who have over time supported societies of peace and love in our world. The call is not to put forth a vision enforced by me, but rather a communal opportunity for the celebration of justice, founded in love, peace, joy, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, the fruits of the spirit that Paul speaks of. John Lewis, whom we remember today, was a giant. But you know, he didn't begin that way. He was the son of a sharecropper. And he was a very young man when he heard Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. preach. And he was so taken with Dr. King's understanding of nonviolent resistance that he devoted himself to joining that movement, the civil rights movement of that period. As you know, he went on to become a very important congressman, but before he did, he was arrested 45 times and beaten more than once within an inch of his life. He was jailed. 
He was part of the Freedom Riders who risked their very lives getting on buses and sitting in places where white people alone were supposed to be allowed to sit. And he was one of the founders of SNCC. I love that name, SNCC. The Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. And he never gave up on his vision of nonviolence. It led him to Congress where he became known as the conscience of Congress. We couldn't have a better example of freedom in love than John Lewis. Look at his life. Observe his life. Hear his voice, even for those who did not share his vision, who were opposed to him. He offered them kindness and love, not out of weakness, but out of a profound noble strength. In this day when so many in our country seek to ignore the injustices practiced in the past in the name of racial supremacy, we need to remember the gentleness of the courage practiced by those who dared to march, sing, and pray for justice. In this day when our government wants us to live in, the, in fear of the irrational violence of some, We are called to remember the joy and self-control of those who witnessed to possibilities of peace as they stood against domination and oppression. The Apostle Paul and his authentic self stood firm in the faith that it is not about some otherworldly salvation, but this worldly liberation that we practice freedom in Christ. Liberation from that which denies us the possibility of living our lives, interacting faithfully with others in communities of peace and hope and joy. So what does freedom from want really mean? What would it mean for you and I to live free from want without its current patriotic trimmings? and cultural trimmings. What would that look like? What would that kind of freedom mean in our individual, collective, national, and global living? John Lewis would tell you, it looks like love. Amen.